Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. We're in Parshat Mitzorah in the book of Leviticus. We'll start at verse 13 of chapter 15. All right, someone want to begin? When one with a discharge becomes purified of his discharge, he shall count off seven days for his purification, wash his clothes, and bathe his body in fresh water. Then he shall be pure. On the eighth day he shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons and come before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting and give them to the priest. The priest shall offer them, the one as a purification offering and the other as a burnt offering. Thus the priest shall make expiation on his behalf for his discharge before the Lord. All right, and the, just to be equal, you can go to verse 19. When a woman has a discharge, her discharge being blood from her body, she shall remain in her menstrual impurity seven days. Whoever touches her shall be impure until evening. Anything that she lies on during her menstrual impurity shall be impure. Anything that she sits on shall be impure. Anyone who touches her bedding shall wash his clothes, bathe in water, and remain impure until evening. And anyone who touches any object on which she has sat shall wash his clothes, bathe in water, and remain impure until evening. Be it in the bedding or be it in the object on which she sat, on touching it, he shall be unclean until evening. And if a man lies with her, her menstrual impurity is communicated to him. He shall be impure for seven days, and any bedding on which he lies shall become impure. All right, so we've talked, we've talked about these categories of tahara and tum'ah, of purity and impurity. We tend to get all worked up. Right when it comes to she is unclean for seven days, I had to start at he is unclean first. Right, this is not about misogyny. We tend to go there, rightfully so. We have a right to look for misogyny everywhere. It is everywhere. Not so much here. This is not uncommon in the ancient world. It was not uncommon at all for there to be. Um, very serious power associated with menstruation and menstrual blood. To bleed for seven days and not die and, and be fine afterwards, like nothing's wrong, is weird, right? It's, if you think in the ancient world and you think bleeding usually means wound, death, whatever, but women do it regularly and are fine, it's, you can understand how that's pretty spooky, did they know what it was? So there seems to be some indication that they do know a woman didn't menstruate when she was pregnant, right? So, um, and it's one of the reasons we believe that um, tum'ah, contact with death in life, renders one impure, meaning not regular. When one is pure, one is ready to come into contact with the sancta, one is ready to do one's normal thing. <coughs> Impure means something has to be attended to. Something has to be dealt with. So you're not in a state of being prepared to come into contact with sancta. So that is what these categories of tum'ah and tahara mean. So anything that issues from the body renders one impure. Right? 
And so that, like I said last week, that's one of the ways we know impure doesn't mean bad. One is commanded, pru or vu, to be fruitful and multiply. That requires an act that renders one impure. Right? So it's, it's, you're supposed to bury the dead. That renders you seriously impure. That's the highest level of impurity there is, is contact with a corpse. We're commanded to have contact with a corpse. So this is not bad, it's other. This is, interestingly, you know, one of the few categories of, of these laws are the ones around menstruation for women in the, in the Orthodox world. Um, if you talk to them, they will tell you that they do not understand this as oppressive. They do not understand this as bad. Uh, and frankly, are happy to be left alone. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about y'all, but, right? Like... <laughs> It's not a time one generally feels most amorous um, anyway, or, you know, it's just not, so it's, it's not for them a serious experience of anything other than feeling like they have a tie ritually to the rhythms of their lives that men don't. This, it's not up to us to say whether that's true or not. That's their experience. Um, so family purity laws are still uh, in effect when it comes to uh, much of this. And uh, we get in this parsha. Um, the reason it's called mitzorah is because um, this discharge business is after we get what happens with the person who has tzara'at. Right? Last week we studied tazria. We studied um, the, affl- the affection of skin that is called... Tazria, and the person who has it is the Metzorah. And we talked a lot about, for the rabbis, again, other than family purity laws, which are still in place, these categories have largely no relevance because there's no temple. Right? So there's the categories of pure, everything's impure now. Everything. There's, there's no way to purify. Right? Because there's no temple. So we're all impure. Everything's impure. Um, so it's just an interesting thing that this category of family purity continues. And we said the Metzorah, Metzorah is the person who has Tazria, right? And that we said the rabbis love to play the game of what does this have to say to me now that we don't have this disease, we don't have priests to diagnose it, we don't have ways uh, to deal with it, and the rabbis being who they are love to play with the love letter that is Torah, and we said that they said, don't read Mitzorah, rather read Motzi Shame Ra Right? Motzi Shemra, one who brings an evil name. One who brings a bad name. Meaning, onto other people. <clears throat> so the Mitzorah for the rabbis and Tazria itself is tied to speech. So we recall the episode with Miriam. Yes? She spoke about her brother marrying the Kushite, and she is stricken with Tzara'at. So she becomes a mitzorah. So for the rabbis, can you see the tie? Right? She's talking. She is stricken with, with this affliction. 
And so they said, but that's because she was, don't read, she was a mitzvah ra, but she was a motzi shem ra. She was bringing a bad name onto Moshe. So how would this connect to Tzara'at for buildings? You know, for them, they understood it to be the same thing. Right, but, but buildings don't speak. So. Right, but you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't think a building would do something to cause a disease anyway. Sure. Right, so for a person, right. there's a... There's a cause, mm-hmm. right? No, you that, you've done that something. Made a connection to that. Correct. Okay. Correct. But that could be a really slippery slope. Tell me about the slippery slope. Uh, that bad thing. If bad things happen to somebody, they caused it. Right. Well, we know that's a slippery slope. Mm-hmm. Uh, for them in the ancient world, you had to find some no. explanation. No. So, it, you know, we can talk about what terrible consequences ultimately derive, right, from saying you must have brought it on somehow. Um, So what I like about what the rabbis did is they picked something that we all do, (laughs) right? It isn't like, oh, you know, that person, you know, they know all of us gossip. All of us speak inappropriately about other people, and we do it a lot of the time. And if you spend some time studying your own speech and the conversation you have with others, notice what percentage of time you are spending talking about other people. It's huge. It's huge. Huge. It's huge. Huge. Oh, don't even get me started. All right. So huge. Um, some things are not. All right. Mitzorah. Motzi Shemrat, one who brings a bad name. So this is just how the rabbis um, handle having this remain something that speaks to them. <laughs> um, so, it, and it shows up all over rabbinic literature, right? Everywhere, including the ritual, right, that we talked about. So we've talked about this several times in here. The ritual is you bring two birds. One, you kill it, and you pour out its blood into an earthen vessel. There's water, there's hyssop, there's, you know... All that good stuff. Um, Then you take a live bird and you dip that bird in the blood of the other bird and you set it off. We had a beautiful teaching by Tirza Firestone that we've done several times in here. One of my favorite teachings about this. Um, But this time I want to go to what the rabbis do with that. So how do the rabbis deal with um, gossip and this ritual? They say, well, birds love to chatter. (laughs) Birds chatter. So of course it's got to be birds that we're going to do this ritual with. So you shut one up. You make one stop talking. And you pour its blood into something earthen, something that can break. Right? And uh, for the rabbis, they understand um, that it's about humility. Right? The arrogance, you know, is just, you know, chattering is about arrogance. Uh, and, and an earthenware vessel is about humility, grounding us, right? It's breakable. We are breakable. We are mortal. We are fallible. Uh, it has to involve, of course, water, right? Because that's the purifying element. Um, and, you know, that we, we ultimately get to, you know, to escape. You know, we get to fly free. That's the whole idea of tshuva. Right of repentance, that repentance is real and repentance is possible, but we carry with us on our wings the mark, right, of having having strayed, having chattered a little too much. And to add to that, perhaps 
the other birds, as they're likely to see this one coming back covered with blood and stuff, see what happens if you... It's a symbol of something that this other bird, Mark, was bringing back to the community. Right. Right, right. If we could deal with the chattering that we um, hear, I mean, and if you seriously, if you think about it, look at the industry, right? The industry of right now reality TV, of tabloids, of you know, I just stand in the grocery store line because I'm always, always, always in the line that stops, always. Um, and so you just kind of look, you know, you can get all crazy, or I try to do my mindfulness practice and say, here's an opportunity to study popular culture. <laughs> and so I browse the magazine categories, right? And, and what the headlines are, and it's always, she said that he said that he did this, and no, he didn't, and I can't believe you said that, right? This is what we, we there's such a huge amount of, of bandwidth given to to this to the chat the rabbis weren't wrong it is one of the main issues that we as human beings continue to seem you know to not be able to get under control margo that it's a dramatic representation of what is in fact that's why we laugh at it that's why it's so clever and so funny because it's true right and we all recognize that we that chattering and it's not bad enough that we that we actually do it and listen to it it's in here all the time right it's in our heads all the time it doesn't stop right and mindfulness practice part of why mindfulness practice is so helpful is because it's about learning you know how to choose what kind of chatters up here noticing up oh, there it is again up oh, there it is again rather than just letting it go and take us wherever it goes including getting us anxious and worked up and right because we start running through con- conversations right don't we i should have said this and i can't believe right we do that and we all worked up and it, it's over and we're all worked up again like that and mindfulness is a very important, and whatever that is for you, a walk in the woods, a walk by the beach, praying, writing, you know, what, painting, whatever it is that helps us just still the waters a little bit just to notice, oh, this is what it feels like to not have that going on in there. Diane? I was going to say, isn't that what happened when you call it the jeu du téléphone? When the uh-huh. when yep, the game of telephone. When you start and see what happens at the end of 10 people, what end up being... That was had nothing to do with the original, but it can really destroy someone's life. Right, like, that's exactly right, and it's not, and it's rarely even accurate, right, in terms of what's being repeated. Mm-hmm. That's right. Right. Um, so it's it's one of the reasons the rabbis took it so seriously, is they truly believed it was at the root of what eats at our character and what undermines our sense of being a collective society ready to help each other out. And it erodes empathy um, and encourages all kinds of, all kinds of positions, you know, positioning ourselves uh, in ways that just really start to erode our own character. You know, it's, it's interesting because this is really making me think because in pop culture today, there is so much press and there's so much concern about media 
and entertainment is too violent. You know, the treatment of women, it's too sexualized. You know, the access to pornography. You know, yet what people don't really talk about, but has become such this industry that you mentioned, it's not just the National Enquirer and the Gelson's Rack, it's, you know, the housewives from pick a city across the country. <laughs> right. And that industry is thriving. And people watch this stuff. I mean, right. I go on home with DVR, you know, there's someone in my family, happens to be a teenage female, <laughs> um, who, <clears throat> she's not even, she's way college, but these shows are still being recorded. <laughs> and I thought I should, like, have the V-chip or something, mm -hmm. where I need to be blocking. It's like, what does she need to be watching the Kardashians and all this other stuff about? Which is all about, right, talking about right? the other one. Because I've taken over the last couple of weeks this whole concept of La Shona Barad, La Shona Tov, and, you know, speaking kindness and not God and all that, but that's what these shows are all about. That's right. All they do is they talk crap about each other that's right. the entire episode. Right. Uh, on the other hand, yes, I'm sitting here and thinking, and I'm thinking one of the very few things I miss about not working is not gossiping with the other people <laughs> in my office. <laughs> 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 no, this is a real home with my life. <laughs> well, there's so, rice. No, it is because you're talking about other people in and around the office. It doesn't necessarily have to be destructive. It's just. Well, for, so so to Paula's point, the rabbis say you shouldn't be talking about anybody ever at all. You should not say, I loved your sweater. That's a great color purple. Actually, when you leave the room, I shouldn't say to Pam, wasn't that a gorgeous color purple? Because what does it invite? I hate that color purple. And what was she doing wearing it with like that necklace? Like, what was that? Right. So just by... Just by that came a little too quickly, didn't it? That came just a little too naturally, didn't it? Okay. Um, so, right. The point being, once we start to talk about other people, we invite conversation about that person. We give permission to other people to talk about that person, and not necessarily in good ways. Is it realistic, though? I mean, just think about all communication. That's okay. That's to the person's face. Even if the person isn't there, like Richard just did a great job. He's outside interpreting to So one of the rabbinic principles is we don't we don't praise people, right? Unless they're you know, unless you're going to express it to them. I think Amy. I think Amy's point would be. You might, to keep it focused on us, you might think I did a good job, okay? I leave the room. And you might think I did a good job because I happened to say something that you agreed with. Now, if I said something that somebody else in the room violently disagreed with, they would say, are you kidding? He went completely off the rails. I can't imagine why you thought that was a And he does that all the time. I have a challenge with this, is where is the line between gossip 
So the so she's bringing up a very uh, important rabbinic point, which is we have an obligation to what the rabbis call tochacha, to rebuke, and we have an obligation to do that in a way. First of all, there's lots of rules around it. You are obligated to give a tochacha, a rebuke, gently. In private, so the person is not embarrassed. You're not allowed to give a tochacha if you know someone is not able to hear it. So, if somebody's really worked up and defensive, I am not allowed to offer a tochacha because you can't hear it. All it's going to do is embarrass you. It's not going to help change your behavior. But as far as warning. No, 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 no. Okay. It's not a warning. No, no, but she's talking about if A and B. I'm uh, if I know if I give seduka to him to give to you, he puts it in his pocket and I need to warn. Can you talk? If I know that he breaks into people's houses and, steal, and takes all the wallets from everybody here, um, am I allowed to say, Rabbi, we have a problem in Torah study or is that gossip? Are you obligated you're obligated if if the speech is to affect change or protection Mm -hmm. then it's different gossip is about doing it just for its own sake it's never to be helpful well people may think it's very helpful to say you know that sweater's hideous but um, but it right so gossip is all about there isn't a point to it right other than talking about the other person I don't think that has anything to do with speech. The, the warning part. So you mean people don't get warned? Don't get warned or the abuse is not reported to the right. I, all, right, right. To right. So all I want to do is separate that from issues of speech because rabbinic rules around speech would never condone silence, you know, keeping silent when a little one is in danger. Never. That is about shame. Right? That is about the community's reputation. That's about the individual's reputation. That's about people being afraid to take on people in the community who have power or being accused of, right, going after them. And, you know, all of the many factors that go into hiding abuse everywhere because it's, it's the same. And it's not, I don't even know it's worse in religious communities than it is in other kind of communities, including upper west side wealthy people have the same kinds of major stuff in place around image Mm. and reputation as ultra-religious communities, right? They're just different, you know, they're different mechanisms whereby those get empowered and kept in place, but I think it's the same Stuff. What would the rabbis say about in the Orthodox community about posting uh, the fact that there's a sexual predator in your neighborhood? Yeah. It, it's a, it'd be a very interesting thing. Um, but my bet is if it's to protect children well, and it's been proven, then it would be a warning to the community that they should. He served his time and he's now out. But the reason you post that stuff 
is because it's a continuing threat to so children. exceeds the issue of Lushen Correct. Because that is clearly Lushen no, they would not call that Lashon Hara. Absolutely. Well, I mean, what, what, more, what more gossip is there? All right, so, so let's be clear. Gossip, it, gossip is not about, sh- let's be clear. Gossip is not about what comes out of your mouth in terms of content. It's about intent. If I say so-and-so is a sexual predator and he's moved into our neighborhood, and that is true, and the reason is because we must protect our children, that is what determines whether what I've said is Lashon Hara. Ra means evil, not bad about the person. Evil speech, meaning my intention is evil. So, Because what, what I hear you saying is, how, how is there worse evil spe- bad speech about somebody than saying they're a sexual predator? That it's the content is not the issue at all. The the thing that defines lashon hara is for what purpose am I saying this? Okay. If it's to protect young children in our town, it's my obligation to speak okay. in the appropriate way at the appropriate time in ways that will make sure that that speech is affecting the protection of children. I can't just run around yeah. telling everybody, you know, here, I shouldn't. Exactly right. Exactly right. Have you seen him? Did you see him at the grocery store? Who doesn't give you the willies? You can't do that, but you can go and say, we must do whatever it takes to make sure everyone's aware and parents are aware and to protect our, our children. Now, of course, lots of people do lots of horrible things in the names of good intentions. I'm not suggesting they don't, but but that's always the struggle is to figure out. But at least at least let there be a struggle, right? Most of us don't struggle. Most of us just talk. Nicole? Okay, so it's interesting to me whenever we talk about this, and um, that's because it feels very ingrained in our culture. Tavasa. Yes. No matter where you are, whether it be in school, at a party, it's very ingrained. It's almost like I, I challenge you to find one person that goes a full day without violating it. So if you want to be that person that doesn't gossip, which probably anyone who would come to Torah study wants to be a better person, how do you, how do you, do that living in an environment that only knows gossiping. Right. It's hard. Look, it's hard. Um, so first it has to start with an intention truly to change, truly to gossip less. Okay, so it's not that we're never going to do it. The, the challenge is how do, we, how do we set a real commitment to watching what we say, which is, to the rabbis, this is called shmirat halashon, the guarding of, langu- of our language, right? So the guarding of what we say, of our tongue. And, and we're given two gates for the tongue, right? The teeth and the lips, say the rabbis. We have two chances because the tongue is the most dangerous weapon ever created. And so uh, we get two chances, the teeth and the lips. So we set the intention to lock our teeth, right, around our tongue. And so when we go to a party, you know who to avoid, Right, you know who's going to start right away. You, and and it's 
Part of it is about a practice of how do I extricate myself from this conversation or redirect the conversation in a way that doesn't embarrass the other person, but that gets me off needing to talk about this, right? When she starts talking about Laura, you know, you can say, you know, Laura brought up the greatest thing the other day about writing. You know, she, she you know, this, this insight was so interesting about, you know, whatever, but you, you learn ways to redirect the conversation. Um, but it, it's not easy and it won't make you terribly popular. Laura? <laughs> I, I, I think people can be role models because we all do it, right? That's why it's a rule. And you can say something even like, I'm, I'm challenging myself. And just like you might say, I'm planning to go to uh, spin every day or I'm not going to have sugar for a month. I'm on a challenge to see if I can have a whole day not talking about the book because I learned this really interesting thing in Torah study you know, uh, from this fabulous rabbi <laughs> when, I, when I've, I've been in a conversation with somebody who said you know oh, I was talking talk with my kids and they were having this and I told them show her up and that was a real inspiration to me that wow she's really trying hard to, to teach this value and I'm going to try to emulate that that's you know, I really admired that. So it wasn't a, I didn't feel like I was scolded. I thought, you know, that was a good role model for me. So I think you, one you know, of, people can try to be that role model. One of the biggest challenges is how you change the conversation. Yeah. Because as good as your intentions may be, we are always challenged by someone starting that conversation and then, like, what do you say? What do you do? And we then kind of against our will or better judgment then get drawn into that mm-hmm. and so that that to me is the key that if you're going to do that you got to do it from two two stand standpoints or stands point <laughs> no idea <laughs> two standpoints one 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 is not initiating and speaking Lashon Hara and the other is as the rabbi said learning how to get out of that how to change the subject how to say uh, really I don't I, I don't want to talk about that right now how with, are you today you right know, you can talk about a person to their face right and, and, right and, but as rabbi said without insulting them without then accusing them of saying well no I, I don't talk about you know I don't talk about other people you're talking about other people it's that, very tricky not, a, not the way out George? It, it violates, the rabbis are violating one of my mother's principles. Which is? <laughs> if you have nothing nice to say, come sit next to me. If you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything. Right. But saying something nice about someone, uh, even behind their back, this was a value that... Uh, my mother had to be good of people. That's right. That's what I'm saying, that there is a conflict between the rabbis and my mother. When you talk... I'm not going to say anything nice about anybody. So when you when you go to law or you go to other kinds of things, we look at ideals, right? So the rabbis, they live in the real world. They know. Um, but truly, if you if you are around people who take very seriously this business, they don't talk about other people. They they don't they nice or not nice. They just don't. They talk about issues. They talk about ideas. Yeah. They talk about 
politics. They talk about, well, maybe that's a slippery slope. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> right? They don't spend a lot of time talking about other people. And I think that's really what the rabbis are saying. And so, of course, they go to extremes. But what they're saying is, because that's, that's what we want to do. Your mom wanted, we all want to. Talk about people because that's our closest reference point. It's where we feel. It's where we have connection. It's where we have relationship. It's where we have history and hopes and dreams. And it's the most visceral experience we have is relationship. And the rabbis understood it to be very dangerous, though, to start having most of the content of what you talk about be those relationships. It's just because it just gets all yucky very quickly. I think also maybe... When you talk about, people want to make connections with each other, but it's not so easy to make a connection from your soul or be vulnerable in any way. But if you can make a connection, talking about someone's shirt or whatever. So it's like, what would you be talking, what kind of speech are you being challenged? I mean, also that thing that you always say about judging people's outsides by judging your insides by someone's outsides. If all you talk about is everyone's outsides, it's because that's what seems really real to you. But if you're communicating from your inside, it's scarier, harder, and I don't know. And the rabbis would challenge us to go with scarier, harder. <laughs> right? I mean, because that's what, I think ultimately, Barbara, you lift up the ultimate point. Because if we were to talk differently, first of all, if I'm not talking about other people, then I have to talk about either what's on my heart, right, or what I think, or what I feel. Right? You know, I have to expose myself differently. Gossip is a lot about protection, self-protection. Um, and so I think what you're talking about is exactly the goal. If we had a place where people weren't talking about other people most of the time, wouldn't we be a little more vulnerable? Might we not be a little more ready to risk actually sharing our hopes and dreams, our fears and desires for a better world, for a way that I can improve? You know, Because there'd be a softening Gossip hardens us. We're afraid of being the target. We're afraid of being, when I leave the room, I'm afraid, you know, what are they going to say when I leave the room? But I'm not afraid leaving this room. I'm, none of you, in my experience, have been afraid to share from a very different place. Why is that? You don't know each other, most of you outside of here. What's the difference? We've created a culture where it would be unacceptable for someone to say something nasty about somebody else in this room. That would be, everybody would be horrified, even if we do it all the time out there, right? Because I think this is the grand experiment, is that what if it were always like this, wherever we went, because the conversation is elevated, our awareness of what we say is elevated. Um, I, I think that's, that's what they're saying would be the result. How much different would we all be? How much more open? How much more settled? How much more ready to share? How, how much would that lift us all, right, in terms of our conversation and our engagement? Sheldon? When we get together with close friends, um, after we talk about our medical issues, <laughs> <laughs> we talk about our children and grandchildren. All right. Now, this is our heart and soul, and we're gossiping. And we tell we exchange all the positives and negatives, get their opinions of what we should do. Mm -hmm. So that's gossiping, but it's a positive gossip. Yeah, so I think, you know, 
therein lies the Talmud, right? All the arguments about if it's about my children, Davka, and it's going to help me not strangle one of them. Isn't that protection? Isn't that a good thing? Um, so truly there are times where it's, again, I'll go back to intent, right? That if the intention is I'm sharing this with you, my trusted friend, because I know that you will help me. So I'm going to tell you what I feel when that kid says this. And I want to smack him in the head because I'm afraid that he's blah, 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 blah. The intent is really not to disparage your child. The intent, well, <laughs> at first maybe, but um, eventually the, the goal is to express it, get it off your Chess, because you know the other person is going to lift up for you what's best about your child, what's best about you, and is going to help you. You think, right? Also, I think it permits people to when you put things into words, when it's something personal for that matter, when you put things into words, you give it a shape, you give it, a, it becomes more concrete, and when you talk to someone else, they can. Have an opportunity to give you a different perspective right. because you get stuck in your own way of view and your own ways of thinking. Right. And so as long as it's about us, right? Like, so it's it's to talk about somebody and say, this person made me crazy today, right? As long as it's not about that, it's about I I notice that I get crazy, right? When X or Y comes up and it's about exploring, it's about owning and exploring my reaction, not the trigger. Then putting that into words can help me hear it, can help me see it, can help somebody else lift up and reflect what they're hearing, right? And it's very helpful. It, a lot of it goes to intention. I'd like to tie what you said about this room to the question Richard asked at the beginning, and that is how can walls have tzarat on them? How, what, what does this have to do with walls? Walls can't talk. Oh, yeah. I, when we were talking about, when we were talking about Sarah, uh, oh, right. no, but, but it, the Let same way that together. you wouldn't say the house got Sarah for talking, yeah. it, you, you wouldn't say the house got it for anything else. It, of course the house didn't cause it. Who lives in the house causes right. it. Because what you were saying, I think the point there, the point there, addressing his question, uh-huh. is that spaces, we can give spaces qualities. Uh. Uh, that that bounces off what you said about uh, what we do in this room, and if you sanctifies the sanctifies the room, and you can mm-hmm. also render a space impure by bad speech and have it be the place where everybody goes, you know, underneath that tree, right near the school where everybody goes to uh, to criticize people and to talk about other people. Right. So I do think the sense beyond human beings that spaces and places can be impure, which I think is part of this idea is not different, but merely expands it. And we clearly are the ones who do that. <laughs> right. Um, it's why a Kiddush cup becomes, mm-hmm. right? That's the whole idea of Kiddusha, mm-hmm. right? Kadosh, set apart, right? Because now it it is absorbing all the time this other kind of intention mm-hmm. and becomes sacred in that sense. The metal is not sacred. Well, the the artwork is not sacred. It's it's the fact that it's always used for this, you know, more elevated purpose. That's what it's it's like when you say to people, you know, I don't want X happening in my house. Yeah. Right. You know, whether you're not to use that kind of language in this house, or you're not to do blah blah in this house, or in this house we don't X, because we want to make a space. 
and that's how I would tie it to Sarat on Lovely. Walls, Rick? which is taking it. That's interesting. So I'm like that. struggling a little bit about is there a difference between your audience? Like, for example, you know, I'm very blessed you know, in being almost a 25-year marriage with a woman who I share everything with. And you know what? If I was in a dealing with a person on the phone and there's a business dealing and that person, you know, I mean, for me, sometimes sometimes you're you're sharing just to share somebody. So if it's a close friend, if it's a spouse, if, if there's a difference between, I think, you know, casual kind of in a group or, you know, who you're really talking to. Because you know, if I may say something to share a personal experience and it may reflect negatively, and there's no intent other than maybe for me to get it off my chest and to share it with someone who I'm close with in confidence, I mean... So one of my rabbis at RRC would say, can't do it. He said he doesn't talk to his wife about anything that happens with the students, with administration, with a phone call. He, I mean, he may talk about content, but he no, does I not talk about... There's also a different... Look, I, when I was in a professional... No, 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 no. He's saying, at all. At the office today, I passed so-and-so in the hall, and you would not believe the look she gave me. I think she's still mad about it. Just to get it off his... He doesn't do it at all. I'm not suggesting that is most of our yardsticks. What I'm saying is pretty much the answer's nope. Well, I, look, I love what Laura said about, you know, this is all a struggle, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we're struggling to be better people, to be better Jews. To be cooler in here. <laughs> so, so we can struggle to gossip less. Right. But, you know, there's gradations of everything. I, yes. Like, if, I can, if I can do everything else on Shabbat, but I cannot check email. <laughs> Like, right. That's a movement in the right direction. <laughs> yes. Right. So I think so. The point I'm trying to make, at least for me, there is some level of gradation to this because I'm not going to be, you know, you know, when it comes to gossip, right? You know, totally observant. So you can take some steps. Yes. Talking about getting rid of the pain that you feel inside of you in some way. If you can't talk to anyone, how can he get rid of the pain? So he needs to work it through some other way. I mean, there's. I, I'm not talking about. I had a real issue. It really hurt me. I'm struggling with that. that that's different than just kind of downloading because we want to put it somewhere, which is. I mean, which is our instinct. That is. That is what. Of course, that's our instinct, right? Is someone shares all of it with you. That's how most of us understand our closest relationship. I'm just saying the rabbis would challenge us and say. Right, no, of course not. But there are other things I shouldn't share that I probably do. Mm-hmm. Right? So that you know, what's with the freaking construction when we're trying to meditate? What is that? I put up a sign. I've said something to everybody in the building, and still there's all this noise when we meditate. Really? Like what? <laughs> so now Elvina's implicated, and right? You just. So it's just there's stuff we say just because we want to get it out, and it creates an impression. On somebody else's part, that well, what? they don't know what they're doing over there at KI. Who the heck is supposed to be in charge? Right? It just, it just invites stuff that really should doesn't need to necessarily be said. Be said exactly. I need to just go deal with my frustration, let go of the day, make whatever phone calls I need to to make sure 
I'm trying to address the issue, and that's it. But we, but we love to harp about it some more. We don't look. It's an, it's a normal human desire to to share it, and because it's easier, it's all easier to carry when we have somebody else doing it with us. The rabbis just want us to be really super careful about doing that. But you know what's interesting? That <sighs> like the role of a rabbi, yeah, in at least today's day, yeah, violates violates our laws. What do you mean? They do. What do you mean? What are you talking about? Well, because a rabbi is someone that people go into when they have things going on. Yeah. Or a problem with marriage or a problem statement. Things that they need to, that you would talk to a rabbi about. Yeah. And, and that in and of itself is 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 violating if they're they're a divorce. No, 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 no. It's therapeutic. It's considered a therapeutic relationship. 100%. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's what we were talking about earlier, that it's not just content. It's intent. If the intent is for me to come see the rabbi, by coming to see the rabbi, you've already, you've already expressed an intent to go to somebody who I trust is going to help me deal with this in a better, healthier, more respectful way than if I just go to my buddy next door and start fetching about my spouse that I'm divorcing, right? So the intention already to talk to the rabbi about it, hopefully, right, is one that says, um, right, that says I have an intent about being being better in this situation than I would otherwise be. That is a very different thing than Lashon Hara. Laura? I just, a, a side benefit of this is I, I find myself frequently thinking nice things about people and not sharing them. You know, I live in my head. And when I realize sometimes, oh, I, I should tell that person, and it, or somebody has that, and I get told something lovely that normally we don't talk about. So your mother, George, would be able to say something nice, but to that very person, instead of that person never knowing perhaps something kind of about them. Right. So I think that's one of the side benefits. Right. So it's so Laura's point is a good one. It's not just about what we don't do. Shmirata Lashon is not just about what we don't do. It's about if we don't do X, what does that cultivate in us, you know, in terms of Y? It often softens us, including, by the way, how we speak to ourselves. We're not allowed to speak nasty to ourselves either. So... If we change that dynamic, it often changes even what we want to say because our heart softens. We have more empathy. We have more compassion. If I'm not talking about Sheldon, like if I go to talk about him and I go, you know what, I'm, I'm doing this whole Shemirat Alashon business, I'm just not going to say it. It's an act of empathy with Sheldon, isn't it? It's not just about me and refraining from. It's also about cultivating a sense of, I don't want to hurt him. I may be frustrated, you know, because he's just so crazy making, but, um, but, but I don't want to hurt him. It changes, it changes our attitude. It changes our approach. It changes our hearts. And that really is the point. Because if we were doing that, more of us, everything would be gentler, right? And, you know, the rabbis, their famous explanation for, because 
If there's a just, righteous, good, all good, all knowing, all powerful God, how could the temple have been destroyed? Right, Robert? How could the temple have possibly been destroyed? It's God's house. How could God allow that? And for the rabbis, it was our sin that caused that. What was the sin? Sinat chinam. Baseless hatred of each other. So Lashon Hara is this end of the spectrum. Sinat chinam that destroyed the temple and led to our exile from the Holy Land is the other end. And one starts a very easy slide to the other. And it works the other way as well. If I stop Lashon Hara, then one of the things it does is it increases my empathy. It increases the softness of my approach to everything. It lowers my reactivity. And then we start moving this way. Not only not towards baseless hatred, but towards baseless love. I have no reason to believe that I should love Al, but I'm going to go there because that's what I've cultivated is a heart that said, why wouldn't I love Al? Yes? Yes. Okay. All right, we're going to close because we have this wonderful, amazing, talented photographer here who's going to take our picture shortly, but I wanted, I cannot believe it's already 1045 Holy Buckets. Okay, so I just gave to you something, right, that says this Shabbat. The Shabbat before Pesach is Shabbat Hagadol, the great Shabbat, yeah? Yeah. All right, so we read uh, the Haftarah of Malachi, which now we don't have time to read because I've let us go down a whole nother rabbit hole. Um, rabbi hole. Another rabbi hole. Thank you, <laughs> Linda, for the correction. Thank you. <laughs> right? We're reading really fast, right? So meaning Malachi raises up some questions about um, from the days of your ancestors, you have strayed from my statutes and not observed them, right? Return to me and I'll return to you. But yet you jump some lines later uh, and... Um, and we get this jolting sentence. It's useless to serve God. What gain is there in observing God's service? We account the arrogant, happy, the evildoers are the ones who live on. They even try God and get away with it, right? So this is the question we ask all the time. How come somebody can be a cabillionaire who's such a jerk? How does that work? And if that's, then why do I just, not, why I should just be a jerk? Because they seem to really succeed. And they do really well, and they have these lovely lives, right? So why not? The prophets get it. Nothing's changed, right? We still ask this question. Um, So what keeps Judaism going after all these years at the bottom of your sheet? According to verse 16 of Malachi, there have always been those who have revered the eternal. More importantly, the core of faithful believers talked to each other. With this in mind, let me point out that a crucial part of any Pesach Seder... Is to talk. (laughs) The crucial part of any Pesach Seder is to talk with one another about what the struggle for freedom means, right? So, talking to each other is one of the ways that the faithful encouraged one another, says the prophet. That's what kept this whole enterprise going. So, you are the faithful. Those everywhere in this world that come together, right, for purposes of of growing, of challenging ourselves, of building something different, of wanting to increase the holy in the world, that 
That is one of the things that keeps uh, this whole enterprise going. Struggling with faith and doubt is both universal and eternal, right? And that sitting around the Pesach Seder table is the perfect place to talk about these timeless matters. So let us understand the Pesach Seder, Rabbi Howard Cohen is suggesting, as an opportunity to talk an opportunity for dialogue, an opportunity to talk to each other differently across the generations differently than we tend to. Gently, respectfully, right, in this context of continuity with our people and with history. I want to give you, did I give you this? Did you get this or is it on the copier? You got this. Okay. So in Malachi, the the reason we have a coast for Eliyahu is that the hope is that there's going to be the messianic era brought uh, brought in by uh, Eliyahu Hanavi's return. <laughs> Eliyahu is supposed to come back on Pesach. So one of the reasons we have a coast for Eliyahu was that it should be this Pesach. This Pesach, when we open the door, should be Eliyahu. Right? We should be entering the Messianic age. We don't believe in a personal Messiah in progressive Judaism. Um, however, we do take very seriously the Messianic age. And that it is our responsibility to create the messianic age. How we behave, the decisions we make, who we make our president, the policies they put into place <laughs> contributes either to a world that is closer to the messianic age or further away from it. Um, but I will, I'm giving you this resource, the Elijah's Cup, because it's a, it's a beautiful piece um, by an organization whose whole... Uh, Mission. It's called Elijah's Journey. Their whole mission is to raise awareness about depression and suicide. Um, I just got a call uh, two weeks ago uh, from Duluth uh, that a family was desperately wanting to talk to me um, whose 29-year-old son I had bar mitzvahed and who jumped off the high bridge and took his own life. Um, one of the most beautiful young men I have ever known in every sense of that word. And the shock of the phone call wasn't just, oh my God, he did it, but the shock of, what? This, this kid? Of all kids, this beautiful, tender, amazing, lovely, respectful soul? Really? And, you know, I feel like he's the canary in the coal mine. It's not... I, of course, depression, all those kinds of issues are part of it, but I really believe in this case it was one of those where he's the canary in the coal mine. That we've created a society so hard and cynical and fast that rushes everywhere and is so filled with infotainment and achievement and competition and that some people just get run over. So as we go into our Seder, as we celebrate together being together, let us not forget those who are alone, those who are not at a table, those who are at a table that is abusive and oppressive to them, those who are invisible, those that we've left out, those we turn away from. And it's an encouragement for us to read this as we open the door for Elijah. That may we just reach out to whoever that is sitting next to us that could use an extra smile, an extra word of encouragement. So may it be. Um, Amen. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.